welcome to episode 20 of the Casual Shooters podcast. This week, Huggy Leo and I welcome Tim Herron. Tim is a Grandmaster USPSA shooter. He left the automotive world in order to shoot and train people full time. We joined the interview in progress. We had just asked him what his favorite caliber and gun was, and his answers were 45 and 1911. Enjoy the interview. And 10, when I first picked up my first handgun. That was my first handgun. And then in late March, early April of that same year, I bought my first 1911. And um, that that was like, that sealed the deal for me. So um, I've been a 1911 guy pretty much, you know, from, from then on, um, which I still do own that particular pistol and will probably never go anywhere. Um, and it's a, it's a Kimber, <laughs> it's, it's a Kimber custom too. Um, and it's nothing fancy, nothing special. Um, me being a left-handed shooter, I did have to have a, uh, an ambi thumb safety put on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the gun that I initially started shooting USPSA and shooting competition with. And, uh, I kept that gun up until, I mean, I, like I said, I still keep it, but I competed with that gun primarily up until I made uh, masterclass in, uh, in USPSA as a master class shooter in 2013. And then, uh, I, I kind of decommissioned it and kind of it's, it's put away in a box. Um, I get it out from time to time, um, and, and kind of look at it. I'll get out and take it out to the range and once in a while and shoot it. But that gun's probably got about 91 or 92,000 rounds through it now. And, uh, I mean, it's still original slide frame and barrel fit, same, uh, stock barrel link, barrel bushing, um, it has had uh, a new hammer and sear put in it just because I wore out the, the originals. But uh, yeah, a lot I mean, of rounds, that, yeah, that gun's been pretty rock solid. Okay. All right. <clears throat> I mean, it's not Springfield XD, but. <laughs> <That's all right. laughs> no, I still have a, an XD. I actually have an XDS in nine millimeter, a uh, small compact gun that I have. Uh, I, I kind of. I give it out to kind of loners in classes uh, when I'm teaching like small defensive handgun classes and things like that. Um, it's also kind of nice to just, you know, have a, a plethora of different uh, options available, you know, like an MMP shield, an XDS, a, a, a P365, a Glock 48, um, you know, just to kind of kind of have a hodgepodge of different options available for people to, you know, to kind of try and yeah. test out what they like, what they don't like and all that kind of stuff too. So yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So obviously you get, I mean, you, you, you get people that you in to train mm -hmm. that don't just shoot USPSA. There's defensive stuff going on too. So um, how many uh, students, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Do you get that shoot IDPA or just come in for def more defensive style? Um, I, I probably get just as many IDPA shooters as I do uh, USPSA shooters. Um, Primarily, my competitive background stems from USPSA. Um, I do I do play uh, from time to time in IDPA um, as well. Um, I'm a three division uh, USPSA Grandmaster. So um, in uh, limited division, uh, single stack division, and then limited ten, and then I'm working on uh, carry optics and production to kind of round out um, Grandmaster. You know, having my my GM card and all of those divisions. Um, and then an IDPA, I'm a, a, a master class shooter in CDP, uh, custom defensive pistol, which is 1911s and um, ESP. 
enhanced uh, service pistol as well. So I do dabble a little bit in, in IDPA. Like I said, I mean, I think, I think I'm probably like on just the competitive side of students that I see in classes, it's probably about a, probably like a 70, 30, 60, 40 split um, with, you know, the, the, the higher percentage being USPSA shooters um, to IDPA shooters, but I, I'm seeing more and more IDPA shooters like almost every class. And then as far as classes, I, I would say when I very first started teaching, um, you know, I was probably 90% competitive shooters with like 10%, you know, kind uh, of self-defense or uh, tactical minded or even say just hobbyists. Um, and now I'm, I'm really kind of seeing an influx in that side of the house more so than I am on the competitive side. And I've been one of those instructors that have really like my primary focus has been to try to close or bridge the gap between competition shooting and uh, defensive, you know, sides of the house. You know, I, there's been such a polarity between the two and it's, it, there doesn't need to be right. I mean, at no, the end no. of the day, gun handling and, and pistol shooting or handgun, you know, dynamic shooting is the same regardless. Um, and it, I'm starting, like I said, I'm, I'm starting to really, I think kind of really break through on that. Um, my last class for 2020 was in Phoenix, Arizona, the week before Christmas. And that particular class, I think I had actually out of a, a full sold out class of 13 students, I think four were USPSA IDPA shooters and uh, the other eight or nine shooters were all from the self-defense tactical side of the, you know, side of the spectrum. So. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I think there's a lot of carryover. I was a, um, I was a Marine Corps scout sniper instructor for four years. So I, I've taught marksmanship, but long gun, not short gun. Mm -hmm. so, uh, but I think there's a lot of carryover in marksmanship, especially in USPSA and IDPA. So I, I think that's fantastic. Oh, there certainly is. Well, and then the, the, the big thing too is, like on the defensive realm, right? You know, like you're seeing a lot of influx of shooters using uh, USPSA IDPA targets as like their primary focus, you know, primary target to focus any of their any of their drills and exercises and things on. Um, you're also starting to see, you know, I, I don't say even starting to see over the last six to seven years, right? I mean, things like that have, that have primarily been USPSA or primarily been competitive natured uh, drills, such as like target transition drills, um, throttle control or speed control style drills, build drills, um, you know, grip and, uh, and recoil mitigation drills and exercises like that, that just weren't really a big primary focus on the defensive side of things that are now, I mean, it's like, oh my God, that's like right in my wheelhouse. Let me help you make you a better shooter. Right. And, and a lot of things are lost in context because they don't quite grasp why the, the, the goal or the gist of that drill is what it is because they've never dabbled in competition. So they, you know, a, a lot of people may have an inkling of an idea, but it's great to be able to kind of give them, you know, from, from my school of thought, you know, or from my, my kind of side of the house, like this is why this drill was, was created and this is how it applies to what you're trying to do with it too. So. Okay. You actually answered a couple of the questions we've already had. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, that was good. Yeah, while uh -huh. you're looking at that, I was just thinking he's like the Jerry Maguire of shooting. He's like, help me help you. 
That's right. Right. Show me the money. Yeah. (laughs) I'm a fan. That's exactly right. Uh, Okay. Here's one. I think this is, uh, this is actually Leo's question. Leo, did you want to ask him about the plateau? Oh, um, yes. Okay. So (laughs) we did a little bit of research so that we would sound semi-professional. Um, and looking through your website, uh, kind of in your home about me area, you talk about how you had kind of plateaued as B class shooter in USPSA. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of had some mentors that helped you realize, Hey, this is a better way to train, or this is a more efficient way to train and train the areas that you need to improve. Um, mm-hmm. do you mind telling us kind of who those people are and, and what exactly it was that they brought to your attention that helped you get through that plateau and kind of, you know, get to where you are now as a grandmaster in more than one discipline or more than one division. Um, probably one of my, my, my number one uh, kind of mentor along the way, you know, or along this path that I've taken um, was a, a gentleman by the name of Mike Seeklander. Um, I'm, I'm sure maybe some guys here are pretty familiar with who Mike Seeklander is. Yeah. Um, me being primarily, uh, I, you know, for 41 years, I've lived in Kansas city, Missouri. That was kind of my, you know, that's, that's been my home. Um, so Tulsa, Oklahoma was kind of one of those things where it was like, ah, Tulsa's only three and a half, four hours away. Um, there's a guy, you know, that I'd seen on like, uh, the old TV show top shot, you know, mm-hmm. um, and my Clander was, a was a, was one of the, uh, the, that, uh, and so like, kind of got familiar and I kind of stepped foot and kind of dipped a toe in USPSA and things. And it was like, oh man, you know, there's, there's this guy down at, uh, at U.S. Shooting Academy down in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, named Mike Seeklander. And of course I'd done a bunch of research and was like, man, that's, I, I want to take a class with that guy. I, I, you know, a lot of things kind of, kind of resounded with him, you know, like I, I felt, you know, teachers, pupil wise, like I'm probably going to get only good and, and really learn a lot from this guy. So um, me and uh, one of my early mentors, who is a guy that kind of got me involved in uh, competition shooting, uh, is a guy by the name of Ron Sandlin, who's kind of a local, uh, he was a local, you know, uh, shooter there in Kansas City, um, kind of took me under his wing and, and kind of showed me the ropes. So he was actually a, a kind of a big influence on this as well. He was like, man, I feel like I've given you all I can, you know, he's like, but if you want to go take some training, all the guys he'd recommended and he off a couple. And of course, when he, he rattled off my Seeklander, I was like, oh my God, I've been looking into that for the class and I'll go and attend that class with you. Right. And I was like, oh, oh wow, this is really cool. So, you know, getting to attend a three-day Mike Seeklander class, you know, I took his competitive 101 and then, um, like a couple of months later, I think I did his competitive 201 or whatever it was like, whatever his basic three-day class was and then his advanced three-day class was uh, within just a, a realm of a couple of months. And that's really what what helped me to just to be able to kind of explode past um, a, a lot of what my plateau was. And a lot of it was because I didn't know how to practice. I didn't know how to train. Um, you know, it was, it was one of those things was like, man, I, I started reloading and I'd fill up an ammo can just absolutely filled to the brim, you know, with, with ammo. And like my, my idea of, of practice was like, okay, we're going to go to the range. We're going to set up a bunch of targets and we're going to like shoot like stage scenarios, or we're going to do this, or we're going to do that. And I'm going to do it until that entire 
full can of ammo is nothing more than like an empty can of ammo slash full can of empty brass. And that will be a really good practice session. Yet I'm shooting, you know, a thousand rounds plus a week and not seeing any sort of progress. And like I said, it wasn't until I, I took that initial class with Mike Seeklander where it was just having an instructor be able to, to convey to me that there's a much more, you know, there, there's a better way and, and a more uh, a purposeful way of practicing that will get you to your goals um, by keeping you focused, right? And and learning how to how to stay focused in practice and learning that a lot of times there is such a thing as way too much, you know. And I think I think most people as shooters, right? They they just think, man, I just got to shoot a lot, and that's how I get better. And I know for me, that was a lot of it, you know, like I'd, I'd get on YouTube and I'd watch old videos of like Rob Latham and old videos of Todd Jarrett and, you know, all of these greats. And, you know, like they get into these interviews and they're like, oh yeah, I shot, you know, 75,000 rounds, you know, a year for umpteen years. And I'm like, well, that's what it's going to take. I've got to shoot 50 to 75,000 rounds a year. Right. And, um, you know, sans driving myself to the poorhouse, you know, like trying to shoot that much without any real tangible goal of what it was I was trying to accomplish, you're just spinning your wheels. And like I said, the, the, I mean, that, the, that was the huge turning point for me was, you know, to, to practice with somebody and learn how to practice. Um, you know, and Mike has since been probably, again, just his mentorship from the instructor side too, you know, like, I mean, he was the first person I, I remember reaching out in like 2015, 2016 was like, man, I'd like to, you know, what do you think of like teaching some local stuff? And Mike's like, I think that'd be a great idea. And here's how to get started. And these are the other people you need to connect with and network with and learn from. And, you know, I mean, like who, who does that, you know? And I mean, and now I've, I've since learned many instructors in this industry do do that. You know, I mean, there's, there's just a few that kind of play the cutthroat game, but I mean, for the most part, the, the, the shared successes of student to mentor or, you know, from instructor to instructee kind of thing is, is huge. Um, you know, and I mean, he, he's really the one that kind of set me on my path, not only to, to grow as a shooter and a competitor, but also to, uh, you know, to grow as a, as an instructor and an educator. So um, it, it was him uh, Rob Latham, of course, who's now become a, a very near and dear friend of mine, um, as, as well as a peer. I mean, he's, he's the greatest shooter to walk the planet. Right. So, um, but it, it's really great. You know, I get to shoot matches all over the country and, and, and get to shoot right alongside guys that I, you know, I couldn't have dreamed back in 2010, 2011 and 12 to be like, oh my God, it, it's like getting to play golf with Tiger Woods. Right. You know, it's like, yeah, I got get to shoot with the greatest shooter, to, to, to ever live, you know, Rob Latham and Todd Jarrett and Mike Seeklander and, you know, all of these guys. So, um, yeah, I mean, they've all kind of had this, this, this kind of great touch on me as a, you know, as both a competitor, uh, you know, a, a competitive shooter, as well as just now somebody that wants to give back. And, and like I said, I've, I've turned this passion into, you know, a, a career for myself. So. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that, that is that's pretty good right there. And it's, it's, but I think it goes with the whole sport in general um, where like you're saying 90% of, of everybody is super nice, super helpful, 
you know, willing to do whatever they can to help people get wherever they need to go. So, I mean, it's, I, I've never seen that NRA high power is not bad, but mm -hmm. not to this extent. This is by far more than anything I've seen before. I, I agree with that completely. And I mean, it's also, I mean, it's, I have to think, you know, so many of like the, the lucky stars on how things align for me as well. I mean, a lot of people don't, you know, granted, I'm not that type of person that like I picked up a handgun and six months later, you know, abracadabra, I'm a grandmaster. Um, there's, there's been a few people that have done that. I, on the other hand, am not one of those guys. I mean, I've, I've, you know, like blood, sweat and tears and, you know, thousands of hours to, you know, to become proficient with a handgun um, to, to get where I'm at as a, as a shooter and as, as a competitor. Um, but it's, I, I still think my learning curve was, was definitely, you know, kind of put on the proper path just by, by people that I met just along the way, you know, I mean, kind of one of my earliest was, I mean, just picking up a handgun for the first time was kind of had this kind of grizzled old, uh, you know, range officer, uh, that guy by the name of, I say grizzled old, he's really not, he's an absolute sweetheart. Um, but his name was Jack Arnold and he was just a local, you know, kind of range officer at this little indoor range that I would, I would go to every Saturday. And Jack was one of those guys that he's like, man, I see you here every single Saturday and you're in a lane and you're, you're trying to shoot and get better. And, you know, he'd come over and he tapped me on the shoulder and it's like, Hey, you know, can I, can I offer some, you know, some advice to you? And, you know, I mean, it, it turned into that to where he was introducing me to other people and those other people then introduced me to other people that really all kind of had this, this, this amazing, um, you know, kind of broadcast on my life to, to really put me in the right positions at the right times with the right people. Um, you know, like I fell into, into competitive shooting very early and then got into it very rapidly because I had a guy that, like I said, John Sandlin was his name. John was on his way out. You know, he was like, I'm kind of bored with it. I, I don't really want to do much anymore, but like, here's this kind of young, hungry, you know, early 30 year old dude. He was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take you and show you the ropes a little bit. And I mean, he stayed in the sport, honestly, for, for my benefit um, for about another two to three years before he finally was like, man, you know what is kind of, you know, like, you know what, young Padawan, you've learned as much as I can teach you, you know, you're move about your way now, you know, and then go seek out for other people. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's like I said, if it wasn't for him, man, I, I you know, I, I'd been one of those guys that kind of, you know, that kind of struggled or, or just kind of spun my wheels for a lot longer. Um, and I've just been very, very fortunate to just, like I said, be at the right place at the right time with the right people. And now I want to be that same person, right? I, I want to be here to tell, help influence people the right way to get them into the shooting sports or just into the, into the industry or into the lifestyle as I can. Right. I mean, I get, you know, young guys that, uh, that want to, you know, like either apprentice as instructors or they want to apprentice, um, you know, as shooters and things like that, that I, I, I always want to give back now because I, I want everybody to have that same experience that I've had, you know, because I mean, through and through this, this whole shooting family and lifestyle has been like probably the most positive thing I've ever experienced. So. I, obviously, I mean, it made you switch careers. It did. Yeah. It Isn't did. that funny how that that's works? Pretty, that's yeah. pretty <laughs> impressive. Yeah. Which I was going to say that that also leads into like the one statement I had to say that I saw on your uh, website, which I was really impressed with the fact that you made the statement of saying that uh, your goal statement was 
I will leave no student left behind, uh, ignored, treated differently, regardless of their ability or equipment. So, you know, by you saying that, that was actually very positive, saying that, you know, you want to help. You, you, get, you received help and you're taking that and also now helping other people. So that, that's awesome. And that's, I, I, I mean, those are words that I will, you know, I, I will live and die by. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of instructors that, that really want to cater to just a particular audience, right? You know, they're like, well, you know, especially kind of from the competitive side of the house, they're like, well, unless you're, you know, like an IDPA sharpshooter or, you know, or expert or you're a USPSA, say B class or better, I don't have time for you. And I, and I, I, when I built my curriculum, you know, around like kind of my flagship two day class, I didn't want that to be the case. Right. I, I, the folks that need it the most are, are those, those younger, newer folks, right. Not the be, I mean, honestly, I, I don't want to just cater to, to guys that are just like-minded, like on my level. Right. You know, like, well, I'm just here to, you know, to kind of give you this, this one little nugget. It's like, man, I'm here to give you the entire, you know, like, damned lake of information, you know, as I, you know, as I, as I, as I blow the walls out of it and just, you know, overwhelm you with like everything that you've been missing, you know? Um, and, and that's, uh, to me, that's important, you know, is it's to be able to give every student or every person that I cross paths with a, just, just amazing, like, oh my God, that was the coolest experience ever. Whether that be with a class, whether that be with hanging out with me at the range, or whether that's just, you know, I mean, like bumping into me, you, you know, on, on the, on the street or in a podcast or on Facebook or something and just, and talking shooting. Right. You know, that's like, I just, yeah. I didn't get into this as far as changing a career. I mean, everybody says they change a career, obviously, you know, there's, there's, you, you have to make a living at it, but I didn't get into this for the primary reason of like, I'm going to make millions of dollars doing this because we know that's not the case. Right. I mean, the reason right. I did right. and wanted to follow this, you know, to, to follow this passion so much that I, I gave up, like I said, a 23 year, you know, pretty lucrative career, you know, in the automotive industry um, to do this is because I, I love helping people get better. I love when people get those like aha moments, you know, and it just, I mean, their success is my success. And that's, that's the coolest to me. Like that's the greatest feeling in the world is to, to help somebody reach and achieve their goals. That is awesome. awesome. And I thank you for having that, having that positivity and that mentalness of helping others. So, cause I will, I will say, I will see you again. I won't, I won't try to divert from our schedule here, but I, again, I promise you that. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I would love you try that. to make it a little bit more awkward when you say it though. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. I'll see you again. No, see. Get a security system. <laughs> so you've already messed up my entire training for the year, just so you know, in a good uh, way, in okay. a good way. So um, I reviewed my uh, video footage from nationals and there were some, some issues. Uh, and I thought it was trigger control. <laughs> Guess what? It wasn't. <laughs> it's grip control. Correct. Um, so I thought that was very interesting. And I actually went back and I saw your video 
and the one you mentioned for, uh, that Rob had posted, mm -hmm. Rob Latham. And I looked at the two of them. I'm like, yep, clearly I know what my problem is now. And it is not what I thought it was. Uh, would you like to talk about that real quick? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I think, I think the shooting industry as a whole, right. is kind of put this immense, um, emphasis on the importance of trigger control almost at, at, um, at the expense of any and other, any and other type of technique or, or well-rounded like fundamental uh, of shooting. And I, people have kind of drank the Kool-Aid for so long, right? That trigger control is everything. Finger placement on the trigger is everything. And yes, those like, as a shooter, you're, you're constantly like, you know, I'm, I'm sure uh, you being a, a, a Marine recon sniper instructor, right? You've probably heard the terminology of uh, tolerance stacking, right? You know, and you, you want to stack all those tolerances in your favor. Um, and you're also kind of doing that with your shooting, right? Uh, you, you, you want to try to stack as many techniques or tolerances in your favor to give you the best or to, to help garner the best results. Correct. But unfortunately, it's, you're, you're, stacking, you're stacking tolerances that are in the 10,000s, let's say, measurement. Um, things such as finger placement on the trigger, things such as overall trigger control, taking the slack up of the trigger, finding the wall, you know, pinning the trigger to the rear, finding the reset, all of those things. As, as somewhat important as they may sound, the problem is, is you're, you're missing out on like 50% leverage advantages in stacking tolerances in your favor with things as important, uh, things that to me are, are no more important than grip and overall grip position, how you position your hands on the gun, as well as how you, the, the amount of applied pressure or tension to those hands on the gun. Um, you know, and a lot of people, they misconstrue that information, right? They, they hear, oh, okay, grip, you know, and I want to use grip as a means of mitigating recoil because that's what, you know, Jimmy Awesome Shooter on Facebook said one time on a, you know, on a 10 minute video uh, that I've got to learn to mitigate recoil so I can shoot faster. What good is mitigating recoil if your ability to hold the sight still during the actuation of the trigger causes the sights to move, right? You, you have an inability to hold the sight still. So I, I tell students and I, I tell folks all the time, don't, don't think of grip as a means of mitigating recoil. Think of grip as a means of applying as much leverage on the gun as possible to hold the sights as still as you possibly can, right? So that whatever amount of, of effort that you apply to the trigger to make the gun fire doesn't result in the sights moving off the target, right? Mm -hmm. And this is kind of where like Rob Latham's video that aiming is useless. And I think some people read that, you know, that, that kind of that shocking title and they think, oh, well, of course, leave it to a guy that shoots 100,000 plus rounds a year and it shot millions of rounds over his lifetime to tell you that aiming is useless. He's probably point shooting all the time. And it's like, <laughs> you failed to watch that 10 to 12 minute video, yeah. right? Yeah. Because that's not what he's saying at all. That's not what he's incurring. Um, no. Exact same thing, right? You know, my, my message to convey is like the trigger control itself or, or thinking about trigger control as some exponent right of the overall like five or seven or ten god i've seen a list as as long as 12 of like fundamentals to follow 
right? It's just an extra check mark in the box. There's trigger control, right? You know, there's grip, there's side alignment, there's breath control, there's stance, there's trigger control, there's, you know, and it's that list gets so maligned with like everybody thinks that like the way to become a better shooter is to like basically, you know, they, they get their little marker out. And then they look it and they're ready to check mark everything. Okay, I've got the draw down and I've got the gun, you know, pointed at the target and check. Okay, and now my grip is. No. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. Uh, okay, well, here he comes. Here he comes. Oh, let's part. get him back in here. There. Whoa. <laughs> check that box. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they constantly try to check these boxes all the time. But the problem with checking each individual box though, is you're individualizing each task and it, it causes task overload. So you end up then, okay, I'm aligning the sights until I'm ready to press the trigger. Okay. So now that my sights are aligned, I am ignoring that to focus on pressing the trigger straight back and making the gun fire. Right. But then pressing the trigger straight back. What does that mean? How do I know if I'm pressing the trigger straight back? Well, then they tend to look at a target to look for validation on the shot they just fired instead of watching the most important part of that entire, that, that entire facet of information happen, which is what did the gun do at the moment that the gun fired in the sights or the dot, right? Lifted in recoil. So the, the thing I want to try to do is not task overload a shooter, which is, which is exactly what happens with these five step, seven step, 10 step fundamental lists. Um, I think honestly, if you really, render it down um, to what shooting is at its absolute primary nature, right? It's, it's twofold. If I have an ability to grip the gun, right, with enough pressures to hold the gun still, then that blends into my desire to hold the gun or more importantly, to hold the sights as still as possible while I then apply whatever pressure is needed to make the gun fire. So I'm not thinking about grip, then sights, then trigger. I'm thinking about it all as one, it, it's one subconscious or actually just one conscious activity, right? If I'm gripping, the, I'm gonna move. And if the sights aren't moving, then I can start applying pressure to the trigger. If I start applying too much pressure to the trigger too fast and the sights start to move, then something in my needs to be corrected to make that, to, to fix that. So I either need to apply more leverage with the support hand or apply more leverage or grip on the gun, or maybe I need to apply less pressure to the trigger to keep the sights from moving. But my primary goal as a shooter is one primary focus, and that's to hold the sights as still as possible, period. Trigger control in and of itself then works itself out, right? It, it becomes a byproduct of my ability to just hold the sights still. And then there's things we could talk into, you know, talk about like the level of pressure that you apply with each hand to allow that to happen and what the strong hands, you know, job is versus what is the support hands job in that equation. So, and, and little things I was, out, but. And I was doing exactly what you were talking about, which is mitigating recoil to try to get the sights back on target faster, but not in such a way that my support hand grip was strong enough to prevent the sights from moving during trigger manipulation. Mm -hmm. 
So here it was, I set up my training for the year and I'm, I've got trigger manipulation drills plugged in there. And I'm like, uh, well, I'm taking all of those out and you know, there'll be grip drills just to make, you know, the whole thing is just focusing on the grip, making sure I feel like I'm good with my strong hand grip where it's not overly hard. That was a hard one to overcome because, you know, you always want to death grip it with your strong hand. Sure. We, um, because we do everything with our, with our dominant hand, right? Right. Exactly. So now I'm, I'm, you know, I've got to work on that focus of weak hand or support hand grip and use that to prevent the sights from moving around so that I can just bang, bang, bang as quickly as I need to with my strong hand. Right. So boom, light bulb went on. <laughs> just so you know, it took him weeks to come up with that training schedule. Too. It did. <laughs> no, it yeah. didn't. It took me two months. <laughs> I guess that's weeks. Two months is a bunch of weeks. Three books, four books, and two months. <laughs> Watches one video, and all of a sudden, he's like, well, that didn't even make no sense. I know. I could have saved two months of time. <laughs> Way to go, Tim. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> oh, goodness. That's what bullseye shooting will do to you. Holy cow. Um. Okay. Here's a, here's a, a different question for you. I watched another video of yours okay. where you did a turn and draw shoot to an 80 yard target <laughs> yeah. uh, in a second. And that one was like 1.56 and one was like 1.49. Uh -huh. um, both a one about nine o'clock on, on the line. Uh -huh. And then another one, I guess about three 30 in the uh, a box. Mm -hmm. But my question is, so what do you have your gun zeroed at for distance wise? And are you holding center of the A? Mm -hmm. so okay, you are. All of my pistols, every single pistol, I'm a huge advocate of a 25 yard zero. Um, and if you can look at just about any ballistic chart, um, most any pistol that's zeroed at 25 yards. So let's let's look at 230 grain. 45 ACP bullets traveling roughly 800 feet per second, right? Which is pretty, pretty, that's a pretty standard velocity. That's, that's, um, you know, kind of run in the mill ballpark, 230 grain ball ammo. Um, right. With a 25 yard zero, you're expecting, um, based on just, like I said, just, just about any ballistic chart out there, you're expecting about three quarters of an inch to possibly a, like a max of an inch and a quarter drop at 50 yards. So, I mean, thinking about like the average shooter, um, and I'm, I'm talking anybody, uh, when I say average shooter, any any person that's capable of at least holding the sight still onto a target at, at seven yards, right? You're expecting your point of aim and your point of impact to basically match, um, it, you know, all the way to 25 yards. Well, at 50 yards, right? So if, if I'm doing my job, the best I see fit, right, to hold those sights as still as I possibly can to center of that target, you're still talking about like if the sights lifted in the middle of that target, that the 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 lowest or or the uh, the most deviated of that shot, right, based on just bullet drop, would be about three quarters of an inch. So we're talking, what about it's, that's about yeah, small. Right. Yeah. It's, it's negligible at best at 50 yards. 
And I think really get hung up around the axles about like, oh, bullet drop. So at 50 yards, I need to be holding like, you know, I've heard people talk about a neck hold or, uh, you know, like on a, on a, let's say like even an idea, a USPSA target, right? So they're, they're using a a standard metric, uh, you know, um, uh, target and like a silhouette target. And so they're holding basically like neckline uh, between the head and the body of that, of that target, expecting that the bullet's going to kind of drop center, you know, high center mass on a 50 yard target. And I'm here to tell you that it just doesn't work that way. Like ballistically, right. even a 45 that shoots very slow, you know, like it's kind of a fat, slow uh, round doesn't drop any more than about, like I said, uh, like maximum. And we're talking like 250 grain bullet traveling, let's say a light load of say 725, 750 feet per second is going to basically have a drop about an inch and a half. Can you really determine what an inch and a half hold looks like at 50 yards when you're holding your sights? you know, to a target 50 yards away. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. Right. Right. So like even at 80 yards, um, you know, obviously ballistically a bullet will drop significantly more. I think that I, I think the average bullet drop at a, at a hundred yard target uh, utilizing kind of that same calculator ends up being about four and a half or five inches at um, at a hundred yards. So kind of splitting that difference, honestly, to turn and draw at an 80 yard target and press the trigger I'm simply like all I'm caring about doing is kind of bisecting the target with the with the rear sight. So I'm cutting the target directly in half horizontally first with right. the rear sight, and then I'm just splitting the target. You know, I'm just again bisecting. I'm splitting the target right down the middle vertically with the front sight, and then sending that shot. And that was as yeah. good a sight picture as I need to shoot center mass at 80 yards. Yeah, we call that quartering. Right. You basically quartered your target. Yep. And yep. if you can quarter your target properly, then you can be nowhere but the middle of the target. So exactly yeah. right. Science. And that, and that <laughs> also then reduces the amount of time that I have to aim and reduces yeah. the amount of time that I have to try to refine that. Here we go again, you know, with this hard front sight <laughs> focused, um, you know, re- re- regurgitation of, I, I want to say it's bad information, but it's, Unfortunately, it's information that a lot of times sends people down kind of the, the the slow road of of progress because everybody thinks that they have to see this crystal clear, beautiful front sight picture and a target that's blurry and a rear sight picture that's blurry, or they they try to really get into the weeds with these things like, um, oh my God, three planes of sight focus. That's nonsense. There's no such thing as three planes of sight focus. You know, the eye works by simply having a dominant focus or a dominant um, uh, accommodation to whatever it is we truly want to focus on, whether that be the target, the front sight, or the rear sight, right? It can't focus on all three. Therefore, it also can't change accommodation to all three of those, what they, you know, people want to try to call planes of focus. And this is where people try to get off on a tangent with like, oh, red dot sights are way better than iron sights. No, you're actually, you, sh- you learn how to shoot red dot sights, probably the way you should have been shooting iron sights for the last 15, 20 years, but you've been kind of inundated with, uh, <laughs> you, you've been kind of inundated <laughs> with, with these things, right? That are, that cause, they, they cause you basically to not grow as a shooter, right? Because again, we're, we're, it's, the indoctrination is, hard front side focus, 
for everything with iron sights. And then when right. we go to our red dot site, it's, oh, you want to have a hard target focus and superimpose the dot, right, to what it is you're looking at on the target. And that's how you shoot accurately. And I'm here to tell you, is like, you can shoot just as accurately with iron sights if you allow yourself to not accommodate the iron sights to, to pure focus. Let the iron sights converge in the same manner of focus that they do like a red dot does and just you're superimposing it in between what it is you're truly looking at, which is a target. So, I mean, I target focus almost everything. I mean, I, I couldn't even imagine the, the last time I shot a B8, like an NRA B8 uh, rapid fire 25 yard target at 25 yards with an actual front sight focus. Wow. Impressive. Okay. Yeah, we had, and we had an episode where we just interviewed each other. And that was one of the things I said. You know, I, I, I shot expert in everything, but pistol was not my specialty. And I said, I, I'm sure even though, you know, I had enough talent to to get expert, I didn't know what I was doing and it was horrible. And I'm, I'm finding all the bad habits that I had and things that I wasn't doing properly. It, it, it was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm Rob Latham's uh, most feared student. I am I am not even a turtle. I am a slug because of my past and what I did. So it's, it's harder for me to break that habit and move. I, I, when I review my videos, I'm getting better, but the movement with a sense of urgency is one of my bigger issues. And, you know, so the grip control and all this other stuff is, is helping. Well, and, and I'm a, I'm a firm believer just like Rob is right. The, the shooting, the, the shooting part is, is dictated by your vision, right? So the, the shooting part, let the shooting take however long it takes the shooting to happen. If you want to get good in like the action pistol sports, right? It's like, I want to do, and, and this is the mantra that I, I preach to everybody is I want to do all of the non-shooting stuff as absolutely fast as I possibly can, right? Because it's, I'm not shooting. The only decision I'm making is to run, which I've been doing my entire life, you know, moving for running from one position to the next position. The only thing I have to do amidst running is just keeping the muzzle of the pistol pointed in a safe direction. Right. But I'm not actively shooting anything. So you see people that are like, Oh my God, I have this explosive thing in my hands. I gotta be very, very careful with it. So they, they kind of run like, you know, like they're, like they're going to happen or that they have to do something else besides just get from point A to point B, you know, um, transitioning the gun from target to target. Yes, I'm holding the gun and I'm establishing my grip, but moving my hands from here to here doesn't require me to press the trigger. It doesn't require me to aim. It doesn't require me to do anything other than to expediently and efficiently move my gun and my hands from one position to the next. Um, reloading the gun, drawing the gun, any of that stuff, I want to do as fast as I, I I can humanly see fit to do. The only thing I'm, and I, and I tell this, right, right, so that all that leads up to do all the non-shooting stuff as fast as you can. And then it's dot, 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 so that you have the time to always be making good decisions behind the gun, right? And those good decisions are, what are the sites telling me, right? Are the sights aligned to the target? Now I have to like settle down, aim and shoot and press the trigger without disturbing the sights. Those are all decisions I have to make when I'm when I'm actively firing the gun. 
those decisions, I am not rushing. Those decisions come at the time that, that my, my vision says, okay, brain, cue the finger to go ahead and start applying pressure to the trigger. It's time to let this shot go, right? Those things are, are the things I'm thinking about there. But when I'm not doing any of those things that require that, that brain power, that bandwidth to make that happen, the only thing I'm thinking about is like a, you know, a two-year-old orangutan. We get from that position to that position and run like a crazy person as fast as I can to get there. Right. Or swing the gun from that position to that position or open up this door or pull this rope or draw the gun because it doesn't matter. Right. There's no repercussion to the decision that I've made to do anything yet. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to trademark. OK, brain, pull the trigger. That's amazing. <laughs> you don't want to you don't want to do the yeah. orangutan. <laughs> I'm gonna TM that one for for from Tim Harris. Okay, brain, pull the trigger. You're welcome. You Verbal trademark. The, the eye tell the brain, and then the brain, of course, then cues the hands or cues the finger to do its job, right? So the the brain is just the central processing machine, but it can't it can't process anything without inputs. And so the problem is, is that people like they aim with the eyes. And then again, like I said, they, they just like, okay, aiming process, everything says that that's pretty good. Right. So, okay, now I got to focus on something completely different. And then we completely disregard all of that visual acuity that we spent so long aiming to simply go and now, right. And then we yank the hell out of the trigger to make the gunfire. And it's like, no, don't, don't, don't yell at the trigger to do anything, right? So I mean, think about think about it as like a wife or girlfriend, or your or your kid, right? How well does your wife, girlfriend, mother, father, son, child, how well do they listen to you when you angrily tell them to do something versus you ask them to do something? So the next time you think about actively pressing the trigger. Don't think about yelling at the trigger to go. Think about asking the gun to fire. My job is just to hold you still and then just ask you to fire when, because I'm ready. I'm ready to accept whatever input you give me. All I'm doing is all I'm ready to do is ask you to go ahead and fire now because I'm prepared. And that preparedness comes again from visual vision, vision and grip. I like yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. Here to Huggy. So next time, don't shoot me in the face. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. Shoot uh, homies in the face. Leo, did you want to ask him about the um, the Instagram post about sharing? Oh, yes. Yes. I was looking for a really good segue. So um, in there everything that you've discussed uh, <laughs> and in sharing as much as you share, being an instructor, teacher, mentor, coach, all that stuff, you had a post a few weeks back about oversharing. And like, what is like, am I oversharing on these platforms? Um, and I, unfortunately, I, I wanted to comment, but being me, I was like, oh, I don't feel like I have enough stance to be like, hey, Tim, here's what I think. Um, so what like, what is your final outlook on comments that were made about that post? And, you know, because I have my opinion and I think we probably agree. Um, but what do you think about that post and kind of, you know, what people said about it? 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I had my opinion before I even, you know, kind of, kind of thought. To, I had a feeling to, to muse the question out to people, right? Um, but it, it is one of those things where, like, anytime that I share what I feel to be like really good, you know, like free milk, right? You know, it's kind of what we call it, you know, fr from the instructor side of the house. You know, like, why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free? And I'm like, well, you know, right. hey, I'm I'm willing to share quite a bit of that free milk um, because I still think, right? Like, even though I'm giving you what I what I believe to be really good substance, substance without action is still just it's just information, right? Um, and and you being able to apply that substance, however you see fit to your own action, doesn't necessarily mean that you've kind of digested the substance I've given you the best way to digest it. Um, but I do, I do, I have some other peers, you know, and, and friends of mine, they're like, dude, you know, like you, you, you just made a, a 21 minute long video you know, basically divulging how to call shots better or, how, you know, how to do the whole shot calling process. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, why don't you Patreon that stuff and make people pay for it? Like, why are you giving that crap out for free? And it's like, well, at the end of the day, they still have to take that information and apply it. You know, it's one thing to sit right. there and look at a YouTube video on your phone or on your computer screen and go, man, that's thought provoking. And that's amazing. And I'm going to do that. It's another thing to actually get off your duff grab your range bag, grab your gear and go to the range and go do it. Right. Yes, sir. So, um, you know, and, and, if, and if that's the question, I, I don't feel like none of the information that I'm giving anybody was mine to begin with. Right. Maybe the way I'm may, maybe the manner in which I'm conveying information is mine. Right. That's what I get to copyright is, is the Tim Heron delivery system. But the information itself comes from every facet of my own shooting journey, right? It comes from people that I've learned from guys like, you know, like I said, Jack Arnold, who is, you know, just this older gentleman that was the very first range official or range officer that ever kind of took me under his wing and taught me actually how to grip a gun and press the trigger um, from, you know, to guys like Rob Latham, to guys like Mike Seeklander, to guys like Travis Tomasi, um, uh, guys like Tom Gibbons. Um, you know, who I, I've, I've now gotten to kind of understudy with and and to take a class with too, right? And and Tom will even tell you the same thing. Like none of the information he's sharing you was derived from his brain. You know, like you got the information from me. And before that, it was the information by the Tom Givens delivery platform. And before Tom Givens, maybe it was, you know, Bill Jordan. And before Bill Jordan, it was somebody else, right? Um, and so like- sharing is new, <laughs> right? Or, or groundbreaking. Maybe, maybe, like I said, maybe the manner in which I'm, I'm conveying it might be um, just a little bit new to hear it that way. Or maybe it makes you think about it a different way, but to, to hold that information, like it was like, like it's been given to me in this, in this golden guide and nobody's allowed to see it unless they pay me for it. It's a ridiculous connotation, right? It, it's ridiculous to think about that. Um, like I said, you can only get so much of me from a podcast or from an, an Instagram post or from a YouTube video without truly coming to a class and experiencing how I deliver it firsthand, like hand in hand, you know, hands on you. Let's make 
Leo. Let's make Dave. Let's let's make Huggy better shooters individually, right? It, like that. That's that's not going to come from just anything that you get from a, a shared video platform on social media. Um, but so I mean, I, I look at it as like, dude, if if I can interest you in a way that may go, damn. I never really thought about that before. I want to go take, I, I want to hear more of what that guy has to say. And maybe you go through, you know, 70 plus videos I've got on my, on my YouTube channel and you get just another little taste of something here and there. Right. But it, it's like going to the grocery store or going to Costco on a Sunday. Right. And well, back when you could do that kind of thing, you get a little snack of some sort. Right. And you're like, Oh man, that's pretty good. And you're like, yeah, maybe I'll buy that next time. Right. But then there's always that one tidbit of something that you try and you're like, Oh my God, I have to buy all of that. So the next thing you know, you filled your cart with whatever tasty goodness was there. And let's just hope that I am the dude at the Costco that delivered the tasty goodness that makes you want to go and purchase, you know, a two day experience with me or a three day instructor development course, or even just an hour of your time online um, you know, doing, uh, doing some virtual training with me. Right. And I, I feel like I want to give everybody and I want everybody to understand that I'm willing to give you the best of me, even when all that stuff's on the table for free. So imagine if I'm giving you the best of me for free, imagine how much more of the best of me you can get for just a little, you know, just, just, a, just a little bit. Right. A small investment. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, I will it, say, if I get to call you tasty goodness, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Well, and, and, and I would say too. I mean, yeah, the information is great, and you can see it. But without the coaching, with the extra yeah. connection of the dots, I mean, right? How long is it going to take you to figure out exactly how to do that? Two, three, four years, you know, versus seeing it. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Doing it a couple of times, going to a class with you and then go, Oh, now I'm solid. Now I'm, now I'm ready to go back home and practice and practice and practice. Precisely. Um, so. it was a, another instructor peer, um, uh, of mine, a, a good friend of mine posted, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to say his name. I'm, I'm, you guys might, uh, might know who I'm talking about, but he posted a picture of sheet music on his Instagram and I believe on his YouTube or not YouTube, but uh, on Facebook the other day, or maybe it was this morning, but he was like building an instructional like database, right? It's like writing sheet music. And yes, there's a multitude of people out there that can take like the best laid plan, right? Or look at sheet music and that, man, I can read music great, but they're still going to only give what they read from that sheet music into their individual performance when it comes time to play that sheet music back. Right. And it's like, it, it's like, um, like having the, the, the instructor say, okay, here's your sheet music. I want you to play that for me, but without any instruction, but then also then giving instruction on how to play it the way it was meant to be. Right. Just right. because you can read sheet music doesn't make you Pete Townsend. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, they, or to even simplify this, even for, for people that are like, I have no idea because I don't read sheet music. Um, ever bought a piece of furniture from Ikea? <laughs> yeah. Right. So even though you're given, you know, a pamphlet of instructions and a lot of people are like, oh man, I'm just going to go buy the pictures. 
right? <laughs> and they go by the pictures, but they don't read the information to be able to convey it the best way possible. So they end up with a piece of furniture that's got too short of screws where it was supposed to have these longer screws and it's got long screws where it was supposed to have short screws. And now the thing's all rickety and, and it, it's not put together well. And I, I look at it that, say, that same way, right? I'm, I'm sharing video information. Unfortunately, it, it doesn't include all of the written instructions from me hands-on to allow you to, to perform it at your best. So exactly. Then you end up with a busted Flunterguggen. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know what happened. I can't even sit on that thing. Exactly. Sitting right next to your, you know, your broken <laughs> yeah. down saxophone that you're yeah. only able to play about half the sheet music. Yeah. There you go. All right, cool. I yeah. had a, like, this is the thing. I had a, I had a, uh, a high suspicion, a high index of suspicion that we would, that we would agree but I was like, I want to hear it from the horse's mouth because, I mean, like you said, I, I read a book re written by Neil deGrasse Tyson on physics. I'm not a physicist. <laughs> <laughs> Can't even pronounce half the words, but it, it, true. It, it expanded your mind to think about things a different way, yeah. right? But yeah, it, absolutely, it like, yeah, I'm still, I, I'm still no, you know, quadruple doctorate on right. physics either, right? They're not asking me to go to the moon tomorrow, so. Thank God. <laughs> it's a big payload. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to transition to something else real quick, Tim. Um, and it's a, we're going to call it a training aid. So Huggy. Uh -huh. Bought a cool, bought a cool fire training system, which um, so, so, you know, Huggy and I shoot a Canic TP nine SFX. Excellent. Yeah, so we should the same thing uh, Nils does. Uh -huh. And with that system, you replace the barrel and the recoil spring mm -hmm. with a, another one. You fill it with compressed air, and it actuates the slide. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, uh, Chris. Go ahead and demonstrate. Make In sure I'm not motion. pointing at Nope, and you're good. Way, you're clear. Okay. <laughs> this is a CO2 chamber. So. Uh -huh. I'm pointing it this way. Actually, I'll point it this way in the same direction so that you'll see the slide. Well, so do it again because it actually it's a slide. I'll put it this way. Yeah, we're not, you're, you're so, your connection is, we're not seeing it. So it, it actuates the slide and gives you recoil. I, I haven't seen one yet. <laughs> I still haven't seen it. It just sounds like an electric stapler going off in the background. <laughs> what? That's how. I don't know what else to tell you. So anyway, here's here's what. At, at first, I was like, eh, I don't know if it would it how good it would be, but the more I think about, it, especially with the ammo shortage going on, mm -hmm. it actually does actuate it pretty solid. I, I was impressed with how much it does. But here's I started thinking about dry fire, and I'm like, you know. He bought the added. Can you hold it up again, Huggy? He bought the added uh, laser tip, so it screws right into the barrel, mm -hmm. um, and you can coordinate it with an app, and it'll show you where your hits are. And my thought was, if you're doing a lot of dry fire training, and then say at the end of your training session you wanted to run some drills, say two reload two, say a bill drill. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I feel like 
you could get, as long as you're using a property, you can get a lot of information from it because if you're calling your shots mm -hmm. and doing what you need to do, the, the slide actuation will make you wait, you know, because it's like a recoil. Then with the laser, you would be able to see if your hits are actually where you're calling them. I kind of feel like you're going to get some benefit from it. It's not the same as shooting live, but I still feel like you're going to get a benefit from that. I would agree. Okay. I would agree com completely. Um, the, the, I think, I think the cool fire is a, a really cool concept. Um, and it, it's, it's great when you're doing say one, two, maybe three shots in a row. And then you kind of put it back in the holster where you can allow it to kind of warm back up a little bit, you know, I said a cool back down because it will get too cold. And then when it gets too cold, it doesn't want to cycle the slide. I'm sure you guys have experienced that. So you might be able to do like a couple of six round build drills with it. And then you're like, okay, I got to let that thing sit on the table for a little bit and kind of defrost a little bit before I'm ready to just start shooting again. Um, but I think it is great. The only thing I'm a little, I'm a little cautious on is if it gives you laser feedback on the target, um, it's very easy to kind of look beyond the sights and just watch what the laser is appearing or what the laser is doing. Mm -hmm. on the so it ends up being uh, very similar to like, I think what the shortcomings are of like the cert trainers are. Okay. So where like a cert trainer, right? You can prep the trigger, you know, to the wall and you get a red light. And then as you press the trigger all the way through, you know, break, you know, you know, break the shot and you'll get a, you'll get a flash of green light. And then the problem is, is like, well, okay, if you're focusing on the sights, then you're not focusing on, you know, like you're focusing on the sites like you should be. It doesn't matter where the green light displays on the target. And if you're watching to see where the green light displays on the target and you're watching to see what the red light is giving you information, feedback or whatever on the target, as far as your prep, then you're not watching the sites. So you're not gaining the information from the gun. So right. therefore shot calling is, is negated by all of these other little bells and whistles that make you want to look. I just want to look and see where the holes are at, or I want to look and see where, you know, where the, where the laser beam was at. So um, when it, when it provides the laser on the, on the target, um, does it use any sort of like a reflector or anything like that on the target where it actually will, will locate your shots then on say like an iPad or a phone or anything like that instead? Yeah. Yes. And that's what I use is called an yeah. app called laser hit. And so yep. basically then I can go to the app and see where the uh, shots are. Yep. Yep. Now see that, like I said, I think that is, that's, I think where the, where it can be money, right? That, that That's the, that's the sweet spot of something like this is where you get the recoil impulse, but you're, you're cognizant of just what the sites and what the information of the sites are telling you um, all the way through, let's say, um, I know on some of those, like, I think it's like five repetitions, right? So it's like five draws to one shot. Um, and then after five shots and you can go onto your iPad and review what the information is um, and be able to review where those hits were. And it'll tell you hit one, hit two, hit three, hit four, hit five. So that's, that's kind of good stuff to go back and look at because it makes you accountable for what the gun is telling you or what the sites are telling you about the information in real time as it happens. But then you get to kind of reflect back on, okay, on shot number one, I saw it's kind of a little low left. That tells me my grip really wasn't established or, you know, whatever the case may be. So that's, that's good. Um, what I don't like is, like I said, there's some of those like the laser max lights and things like that, where 
you know, as soon as you press the trigger, it'll drop the, you know, it maybe it'll fire a striker like into a primer or something like that to, to like ignite the, the laser, but then people look past the sights just to see where that laser ended up on the target. And you're not doing yourselves any favor there. I mean, you've got, you've got a, at best, you've got a gimmick that got you off the couch and got you to start pressing the trigger on the gun. Unfortunately, it's got you to focus on the wrong aspect of your, of your training. And, and that's where I think it's a, there's a delicate balance there, you know, where if you're not doing it right, you're just doing more harm than good. But I agree. And that's you know, why I think that, some of the downfall of like the Mantis system right. is kind of the same thing, right? It's, it's very easy to like, oh, I've got the Mantis all downloaded on my phone here and I'm going to, I could literally not look at the gun at all. And if I can isolate everything, I can be looking at my phone and pressing through the trigger. And in the, my phone, you know, the app is lo and behold, it's going to tell me how good my trigger press was. Well, mm -hmm. stop it. You know, like focus on what the sites are telling you about and what the yeah. gun is telling you about how good your trigger press was. And because and that's, that's you, I've had trigger presses that are phenomenal that the Mantis might have told me like under speed were only about an 87 or 88 percent, you know, good trigger press. And I promise you, like if we'd have gone live with it, that shot would have been absolutely where I wanted it to go. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and when, when Huggy first bought it, I was like, why, you know, why'd you buy the laser? I'm not a, I'm not a fan of lasers. Even, you know, I have <laughs> friends who have lasers on their carry guns. I'm like, Oh my God, get rid of that crap. But the more I started thinking about, it, I was like, you know, if he does it too, like, and to give you a better perspective, like the training schedule I've come up with, um, we work weird schedules. We work 24 hour schedules because we're firefighter paramedics. Mm -hmm. And so I have a, after working three 24 hour shifts in a five day period, I get a four day break. So in that four day break, I have it scheduled out to where at the end of my session, I'm going to shoot dry fire, a um, classifier. Mm -hmm. And the more I started thinking about it, I was like, you know what? If you have that, um, system that he has, and you're doing, like you're saying, just a limited number of trigger pulls, you could literally get everything on your timer that you would get in a real stage because you would get them from the beep. You would get your first trigger pull because it would capture that sound, that recoil. Mm -hmm. So you would get your pause when you're doing your reload um, and then back on the target and shooting again. So I was like, you could really obtain a lot of information at the end of a training session. Like, okay, this is my one time doing this classifier. Let's see how it rolls. And then boom, lay it all out. And then, you know, like a month later, maybe repeat that same classifier mm -hmm. and just keep doing that every month. Repeat that classifier, obviously other ones too, but I feel like there's a lot of information that can be gained. It's just a matter of making sure you're focusing on the proper things. Exactly right. Exactly right. Don't, you know, it's to, awesome to, to utilize to... advantages, but don't let the advantages become a gimmick that, that overwhelms what it is you truly need to be focused on in your training. Right. Right. And I agree with Dave, because when I first got it, the first thing I did was when I shot it, I'm looking at the laser to see where the laser was on the hit, you know, because then I was like, well, I'm not focusing on my sights. So then 
I had to literally just stop back up and then say, okay. And then I started drawing and I just started doing the sights and moving to the next target quickly, not trying to say, where did I hit it? Where did I hit it? You know? So I had mentally had to really tell myself, Hey, stop looking for the laser, <laughs> you know? And that's the part, it's a, you know, you're like, it's a new toy. It's a new toy. Right. You're like, Oh, where did I hit it? Where did I hit? You know, but you just got to tell yourself, you know, it's hear the beep, draw on target, you know, Two trigger pulls, go to the next target. Two, two, two trigger pulls, next target. And then I could go back and say, okay, where did I shoot, hit at? Ooh, yeah, I need to work on my grip a little bit more on that one. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I agree with you. So, Tim, we noticed that um, you're going to be in Hedgesville in September. Yes, sir. Um, that's where we normally shoot, Shadowhawk uh, yep. Defense. Um, and you're running a bunch of classes there. Yep. Yeah. So Randy, how, and Randy and Lynn are phenomenal people. Um, and Lynn invited me out there to teach uh, three years ago. Um, yeah. Two, mm -hmm. two or three years ago. And uh, it's, it's now become an annual thing. So yeah, I'm teaching uh, my, my two day practical performance class, which is kind of my flagship two day class um, on that Saturday and Sunday. Um, last year we, we ran it in conjunction with the local match that was there. Um, so day two was great because I got to take my entire uh, student base. And so all 12 students, as well as myself, we shot the match together on uh, on that Sunday. So we did day one. We worked on fundamentals and and how to apply those fundamentals correctly to to a match. And then on day two, where we would typically just kind of work on movement uh, skills and drills exercises and stage breakdown. where We got to do it in real time, like actually shooting a match together, which was great. Um, I think we're going to try to format that, uh, and try to hit the same weekend, um, or kind of that same format again this year, um, in, in October, the, uh, and then Monday I do a, a kind of a special class where we get to keep the stages set up, um, which is really cool. Cause Shadowhawk gets to do that. Right. Cause they're, they're, it's yeah. their house, their rules. So they'll keep the stages right. up pretty well throughout the week. Um, so we're going to keep the stages up or at least three to four of the stages that, and, and reshoot three to four of the stages um, with a, with a group of no more than six for uh, one of my special, it's called a match skills clinic. And what that match skills clinic is, is it's more of an advanced uh, class that's again, it's kind of very intimate. So instead of having 12 students on the line and, and kind of working skills and drills for, you know, for a class of 12, we're running now, it's, it's a class of six and we get to really individualize the instruction to each, each person's strengths and weaknesses. Oh, so wow. like, like Dave, if you're having trouble with say, you know, strong hand support hand only shooting and classifiers, it's like, great, let's break down that classifier that we shot on Sunday. Let's break that classifier down and we'll shoot it two or three times and kind of science things out, right? Um, you know, Leo would be kind of the same way. Like, man, I'm, I really suck on long courses. I'd love to get better at long courses. How do I get better at 32 round field courses? It's like, okay, cool. Let's science yeah. it out. So great. It's not just, we're learning long courses just for you and I, or Chris, just you and I, we're going to work on say activators, right? It's like, everybody's going to work on those things together, but we get to, we basically get to custom build you know, this, this six person training session for an eight to 10 hour day around 
the skills and things that you guys really want to, or, or like want to really knock out of the park. So. I ain't shooting a lot of steel. So. (laughs) Oh my God. So. (laughs) Just saying. Be shooting a lot of steel. (laughs) And then um, I believe I'm reserving um, either that Friday or the Friday before the two day class or the Tuesday after the match clinic to do um, some individual uh, either private coaching sessions, either two to four hours long, or if somebody wants to book me for just a whole day, then they can have me, you know, to themselves for an entire day um, before then I, I head back home from, uh, from West Virginia. Okay. Wow. That sounds awesome. That's where I said, that's where I was telling you, I will see you again. (laughs) Perfect. Totally not in your bedroom. (laughs) Your binoculars. (laughs) No, and a parabolic <laughs> microphone. <laughs> oh goodness! Not what he meant at all. So, Tim, yeah. where can um, where can people reach you if they want to take a class? Um, best, honestly, uh, God, I'm probably the most I want to say easily e- easiest accessible people probably out there. Um, you can send me. I, I know you guys got in touch with me initially through Instagram. Um, and yep. just shot me a, you know, shot me just a direct message through Instagram. Um, and it, that's at Tim Heron shooting. Um, I've got it, like I said, my YouTube channel, which is also Tim Heron shooting. You're going to see a trend here, right? Um, <laughs> um, my, my website, which is, uh, Tim Heron shooting.com. Um, and that's, so my website's going to have everything from my schedule. It's going to have kind of a breakdown of like the classes that I offer, um, a, a definite, a little more in-depth bio about me. Um, kind of my, my training methodology and things like that, class and course descriptions, as well as having a full schedule of where I'm going to be um, for 2021. Um, I think I've got 31 different classes on the schedule this year for uh, for 2021. And that's wow. cutting myself a little short um, for uh, November, December, because in hopes that the world shoot is still going to happen this year uh, for IPSC world shoot in Thailand. So it got uh, it got postponed from 2020 into 2021. So I I wanted to make sure I didn't uh, I, I didn't uh, I, I didn't so want to put classes on top of that. Yeah. So you plan on competing? I will be competing. Yeah, I uh, I earned a slot uh, from my last three years of uh, of competing uh, at nationals and IPSC nationals um, to uh, to earn a earn a slot to represent the the United States at the uh, at the World Cup in Thailand. Very nice. So Going to be very cool. But uh, yeah. yeah, so the Facebook, you can reach out to me just at Tim Heron um, um, or Tim Heron Shooting. I also have a kind of a, a business page there as well. Um, like I said, Facebook, Instagram, all the social media outlets, uh, with the exception of Twitter, just because. You're I, not on Parler? I, I'm not. <laughs> I am on Parler. <laughs> doesn't really seem to be helping all that much, though. But, uh, yeah. And like I said, and shoot me an email. So uh, I've got info at TimHeronShooting.com. Um, for uh, to just kind of to kick me an a, a an email if you're interested in a class that you don't see a registration link for, and um, I can I can get you to the appropriate host or um, or class organizer to get you into a class. Okay, all right. Anything you'd like to plug before we finish up? Uh, I can't really think of anything. So. Okay. <laughs> well, we we really thank you for coming on. This was awesome. A lot of great information. Yes. And yes. again, hope to see you again. That's for sure. Uh, thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. So thanks a lot, Tim. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank Take you care, for everything. Son.
Thank you. Bye. Bye. Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah. Thank you.